Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by MMA authority, Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Okay, just uh, gone from boxing authority to MMA, MMA huh? Um, <laughs> You're taking over. I, for a second where you said MMA, I was thinking AAA. I have AAA, you know, <laughs> my car breaks down, you know, flat tire, any of that stuff. I got it, bang, right away. Um, listen, I don't know about MMA authority, but obviously fighting is fighting. Uh, I do know something about fighting, the, the mental side as well as the physical and technical side, but I am a big fan, uh, growing all the time and respectful of the MMA fighters. It, it only grows. Obviously, I'm a boxing person all my life. That hasn't changed. But as I said, I'm I'm proud, and I'm 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 proud to get to know these MMA fighters, these UFC MMA fighters. But I'm also very appreciative that they've allowed me into their world, and the fans have allowed us uh, into their world uh, a little bit, and we've gone in there in a very humble uh respectful way uh i want to congratulate congratulate uh being on that subject dana white and the entire ufc organization the machine if you will because it definitely is a machine and the fans for just immediately filling that arena in the first show uh, that they were allowed back in full force uh just an amazing uh Really, an amazing show of force and and of representation of loyalty to uh, come back uh, in the mass that they came back. Wow, it was it really was it really was striking to see that. And um, before I let you take us, you know, point to point, Ken, I think first off, I just have to say what a brilliant. And at the same time, gruesome night, it really was, between the sudden and spectacular knockouts and finishes and, unfortunately, the horrible injuries. As I've said about both boxing and MMA in the past, these warriors, gladiators, whatever you're comfortable with calling them, they can never get paid too much as far as I'm concerned. And Saturday night, once again, highlighted exactly why i say that all the time it was it really it was uh it was quite a night yeah and speaking of the fans um our friend dustin poirier was in town i went to watch the fights with him downtown in nashville at the ainsworth and uh i was quite shocked at um number one the turnout that he got but number two how many of the fans came over and had nice things to say about you and I, the show, how much they loved it. Um, and, and during the main event, there was one guy who went crazy when Usman won the fight, a Nigerian kid named Victor Sato, the only person cheering in the whole place. As soon as it happened, I said, I'm assuming you're Nigerian. And he's like, yes. I said, well, they're taking over. That's for sure. The Nigerians and the Cameroonians are taking over the whole sport. So shout out to Victor Sato, awesome guy. It was it was just a really fun night, and it was great to see all the fans turn out and support Dustin. Man, they love that guy. He's such a good person. But um, let's talk about the fights. To, to your point, what an awesome event. Three first-round finishes, two in the second round. Everything ends with decisive victories one way or the other. 
So let's get right into it, starting with um, Anthony Smith and um, Jimmy Crute. Great first round. Jimmy Crute was doing some good work, but Anthony Smith landed those low kicks, and he hit him one right on the nerve and gave him that dead leg like we've seen a few times before. And the guy, uh, poor Jimmy Crute from Australia, he just couldn't get his leg work, and it wouldn't cooperate. You could see the foot flopping down. And to his credit, did you see after that happened, his leg was like just dead to the world, and he still scored an awesome takedown on Anthony Smith. And he said uh, after the fight, you know, look, I couldn't stand on my leg, so I was just going to pull guard, jump and pull him down on top of me and try to make it into a ground fight so credit to him that the toughness of these guys never ceases to amaze me but credit to anthony smith for doing what he had to do getting the win how'd you like that one yeah it was impressive uh unfortunate at the same time uh obviously for crute uh, a perfectly placed kick if you will behind the knee uh that wound up doing what it wound up doing with the nerve damage from from what i've heard and what we ascertained from that night, from the information that was given as far as the injury, and we hope to God he's okay. And from the reports that I've been able to gather, uh, he is, and he, he is going to be okay. Uh, he being crude. Most of these Australians, I notice, are uh, physically strong and, and tough son of a gun. I was going to say tough buggers. Uh, I, that's my... That's my little bit of uh, crossing over to Australian. Uh, tough buggers, <laughs> tough buggers. But uh, there's a lot of tough buggers in his business. And we see, we've been seeing them and appreciating them. First of all, I have to start with the jab. Smith's jab was brilliant, accurate, and well, well-timed. Timing is so important uh, to being effective you know, in anything in life, but in the business we're talking about, it breaks the opponent's rhythm. Uh, it did do that. It was terrific. It shouldn't be missed to point out, so I'm not missing it. I am pointing it out. Uh, and talk about, as I just said, a well-placed jab with Smith had, but also that well-placed kick behind the knee of, of Crute, uh you know, taking him out of the fight, basically. That that was because of the calmness and the game plan, the thinking, the IQ. I talk about that all the time. We all talk about these guys being tough. Let's remember, that. let's give them credit for their IQ. That at the end of the day, I think part of the reason Smith won was because of his experience level advantage, that he's so experienced, he used that. He used that experience to be calm, to think, to have a tremendous game plan, fight plan, whichever way you want to call it, and execute it. So experience was at play, no doubt about it. It wasn't about luck or he caught him in that special spot. No, it was, a quarter, it was about the way that he was prepared and the way that he was able to think uh, calmly in a place that not everybody could think calmly. Uh, and again, you touched on it. Uh, boy, oh boy, showing that gladiator mentality uh, that's a trademark of these MMA fighters. I mean, here's Crute, you know, as he was, you know, he's, he's ready to continue. <laughs> As you said, he attacked Smith, brought him to the ground, uh, you know, tried to, in his mind, stay off his legs and keep it on the floor. And then, of course, once they had to get to the up to their feet again, it was obvious that 
Well, it was obvious he had one wheel, right? It was obvious that this was a, <laughs> this was a one-wheeled guy, a one-legged guy. And yet he was trying to continue with the one leg. I mean, you talk about the epitome of a warrior. I mean, you don't need to go to Webster's. Just watch that. You don't have to go to Webster's Dictionary to figure that stuff out. You know, the the best... The best defining of anything in his life is example. It's not anything else, you know. We go to the dictionary to get the words. But we go to people to get the true definition of what's behind those words. And we got the true definition of what's behind the words of toughness and just a desire to find a way. Toughness, resiliency, character, uh, just just a, a code of conduct, a code of behavior. You know, we, we have to go to people to get that. You know, we really do, to see it, to feel it, to recognize it, to, to witness it. And we witnessed it. We witnessed it with a true warrior. Um, you know, as long as their heart beats, they're going to continue to try and complete the mission. You know, whatever their mission is, to, to conquer at all costs. I mean, that's these guys' mission. Find a way to conquer at all costs. And I, I you know, I always try to put in a, a kind of parallel, a, a movie. And the first thing that came to my mind there, Ken, was the Terminator, the original Terminator, with, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, that first one, where at the end of it, they finally get the son of a gun and they put a pipe bomb in him and they blow up the bottom part of his body and he's got no legs and there he is crawling. <laughs> he's still trying to get to John Connor, you know, to complete his mission. That, that, that's what Crute was. That was Crute. He was still crawling, trying to get to Jimmy Smith to complete his mission. Wow. Anthony Smith, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Anthony Smith. I mean, uh, really, that's, that's, that's what I saw. It was remarkable. really was. It's Marines. You know, I have all the respect, so much respect for our armed services. Without them, we can't do this. There's, there's not much we could do in this country without them. And so for me, these UFC fighters, these MMA, they're Marines in a cage. Yeah, that's what they are. Oh, yeah. And uh, yep. they, they proved it once again. They showed it once again. Uh, and again, credit to Smith with that great fight plan, uh, using the jab, the timing, the well-placed kick, the, the great ring IQ that I want to give him credit for, thinking at all times, using his experience. And um, as usual, I'm going to sum it up. Both these fighters showed great class. And that's, yeah. that's, that, that's not missed by me. It's not missed by you. It's not missed by, I don't think, any, anybody out there that cares about such things. That besides everything else that they bring to the ring, that they bring to the cage, they bring great, great contact, out, conduct, you know, in the way that they behave as men, as women, as people, you know, uh, with, their, with the class that they show, with the respect they show each other, um, with, with how humble uh, they are at times when uh, you know when not everybody would be and with just how 
you know, again, how respectful they are. Uh, it, it's not, it's, it's not missed by me, and I'm making sure that I mention it because of that. Well, speaking of classy guys, next up in, on the UFC card, two super classy New York tough guys, Uriah Hall and Chris Weidman. I don't know how anyone could not be a fan of either of these guys. Both have been through the uh, been through wars in the UFC and other organizations. Chris Weidman, one of my favorites from Strong Island. And uh, Uriah Hall becomes the first UFC fighter to win a fight without throwing a single punch. Unfortunately, Chris Weidman threw a, a leg kick. Uriah Hall checked it, and we saw the results. If you watch one of the most gruesome leg injuries you'll ever see. Um, you mentioned that it brought back images of Joe Theismann, but what it reminded me of, obviously, was um, Anderson Silva. And Anderson Silva, coincidentally, broke his leg in the same exact way in a fight against um, against uh, Chris Weidman. Uh, same exact thing. And uh, it's hard for you to not feel heartbroken for Chris Weidman. He relocated his whole family down to South Carolina from Long Island, joined a new camp, was highly motivated in all the interviews. He sounded great. I, I, I really thought it was going to be a good battle. He had knocked out Uriah Hall in the past. Uriah Hall's been on fire. Weidman's had a couple losses recently. So I thought that this was going to be an awesome matchup. And it's just unfortunate to see it end like that. Really sad for Chris Weidman. Such a nice guy. Anyway, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, no, uh, very true. Talking about winning a round without throwing a punch. Willie Pep, the great Will of the Wisp, uh, great featherweight champion, one of the greatest fighters of all time, had 300 fights. Uh, obviously, no kicking anything in boxing, but uh, the legend has it that he once won a round without throwing a punch. <laughs> that's, that's, how, that, that's how great he was defensively and with, ring generalship controlling the ring controlling his opponent never throwing a punch just feints you know leg movements angles you know head movement making making the guy miss uh he actually wound up getting the round without ever moving those hands um yeah it was listen was the word that i have to use when i saw the injury is disturbing it was disturbing uh to Very. see to see something and like i said the my mind went all the way back, way back to Joe Deisman, the quarterback of the Washington Redskins, when uh, I think it was Lawrence Taylor, the great, great linebacker, tackled him, and Theismann's, uh leg and foot stayed in the ground. His cleats were stuck in the ground, and meanwhile, his leg was bent back, and uh, boy, it was pretty It was pretty horrific, and uh, this was horrific to see it. It really, it, it was, as I said at the beginning of the show, gruesome. Uh, but again, speaks to why they never can get paid too much, in my estimation, these fighters. Uh, and the same thing for the boxers that always risk injury uh, the way they do. Uh, they can never get paid too much. But uh, getting getting to the fight, uh, you know, again, a reminder that these are real-life gladiators, you know, risking their well-being, their lives, when they step into that cage. And as you know, I always say in boxing, Ken, uh, it's a reminder that when they go in the cage, they go in the octagon, they go into the ring, they're, they're coming out of it with less of themselves. They are. They are. I mean, they, I'm not just talking about this one where it's more obvious that he's coming out of it impaired. But every time you take blows, every time you put yourself in that position, 
a little of yourself gets left there, gets left behind. You're a little bit less. And um, again, why I have the not only the admiration and respect for fighters, uh, but why I've fought so long and tried to so hard on ESPN when I had my position at ringside for all those years to fight for these fighters, to fight for a national commission, you know, to fight and go crazy when they got robbed of a decision, you know, uh, of a of an opportunity to get out of the business, to get a step closer to the door, to gain enough money and enough accolades, enough legacy, enough enough of the things that we chase and that they chase, you know, to answer questions about yourself, to make a statement about yourself, to make a journey for yourself to dark places, to know that you went to places that some people wouldn't go to and that you know you're better for going to those places, for putting on a light. And you've taught us by going to those places that you can get to a farther place if you're willing to go and if you believe in your journey. So that is why I always would go and people would say, you know, wow, Teddy, you, you went ballistic the other night. Yeah, when a guy got robbed, I'd go ballistic in boxing because they were a step closer to that big fight, and now they got to go into the back of the line and face all those punches all over again to get back to that place. And it would infuriate me because I understood what was at risk. I understood every moment what these guys were facing and that they might never get back there. So... Again, just a reminder, um, as I said, why they're never going to get too, paid too much as far as I'm concerned. And again, what great character and humanity Hall showed afterwards. You know, you mentioned the tweets, Ken. Uh, I tweeted, I, I believe after that one, I tweeted something like, what an honest and decent man Hall is after his interview. And, and that's how you spell champion. Just look at that. Look at the way Hall behaved. Look at the way Weidman behaved. Uh, you know, I mean, he, you know, I mean, he gets carried out on. You talk about getting carried out on your shield. My God, he he gets, you know, I mean, he, he, oh God, I mean, look at the way these guys have behaved in the past. Uh, look at the way that they behave under these conditions. Uh, again, the real definition of a champion in the way that Hall conducted himself in, in, in the way that he did. Uh, just a, just a, it, it really, you needed a moment after that to kind of get, to go forward uh, and then <laughs> deal with the rest of the night to, you know, to move on and erase that from your memory banks, uh, seeing that, you know, obviously seeing that leg uh, do what it did after, after it crashed into the lake of uh, the shin bone of uh, of Hall. Yeah, it was crazy. So hopefully, get well soon to Chris Wyman. Next up in the women's uh, flyweight title fight, Valentina Shevchenko in a one-sided beatdown of Jessica Andrade, former champion. Um, Wow, this was just, I mean, she ragdolled her for the first round, finally got her in a mounted crucifix and just rained down punches and elbows on her until the ref had seen enough. It really just looked like 
totally one-sided. Uh, congratulations to Jessica Andraj. Um, uh, sorry, to uh, uh, Valentina Shevchenko. She's now, that was her fifth title defense, seventh straight win. Looks to be unstoppable. I can't even imagine who's next for her. She seems to have cleaned out the whole division. Um, how'd you like that fight? Wow, tremendous. First of all, how big and strong is uh, Shevchenko? I mean, really, really so strong, so big and strong. It was. It, it jumped out on, on the screen there at you. Um, and... I, I want to say this because I always want to give the proper breakdown of these fights where the fighters deserve and the fans deserve to 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 my best ability anyway, which is you know uh, which is not always as good as I want it to be, but it's the best I can bring. And I want to just mention that when you when you really put into context what Shevchenko did and who she beat in Andrade. She beat a really good fighter. People were looking forward to this fight like it was really going to be, you know, to, it was it was going to be a little bit of a test uh, for Shevchenko, which of course it didn't turn out to be. But when you, when you can go and beat somebody that's that good, in that manner, you have really shown a separation, a different plane, a, a different level from everybody else. And that's what she showed because that's what the great Marvin Hagler used to do with really good fighters, with good fighters, really good fighters. <laughs> I mean, he did it with a great fighter, with Tommy Hearns, but with really good fighters... He would take them apart and make it look easy. And the really special ones that are in their own different sort of uh, zip code, if you will, they have the ability to do that, to make something look easy that is really hard. And that's the first thing that I said to myself. I have to get that across when I talk with Ken on our podcast, that she did something. She wasn't in there with a ham and egg. I mean... You know, like the old timers would say, she's in there with a a top a top athlete, a top competitor, uh, a former champion, and she's able to really demolish her the way that she did. Again, she did something difficult in a very easy fashion, and only the real special ones can do that. So kudos to her, and I needed to recognize that. As I said, and Hagler also was a southpaw. And um, that's what he did. That's what Hagler did throughout his career. He did that was, oh my goodness. He did it with a Mugabe, John Mugabe, who was 24 and all. I think it was 24 and all, if my memory serves me correct, with 24 knockouts. Nobody wanted to fight Mugabe. I mean, he could knock down houses. Who, who the hell wants to fight a guy that can knock houses down? I mean, really. <laughs> you know? And, and he goes, and what's he do? He fights him and he takes him apart. Uh, just, just incredible. I tweeted that. I just wanted to make sure that I, I said it in the, what I thought would be hopefully the proper, the proper volume to get across, you know, again, where a lot of people might dismiss it as having a layup. She didn't have a layup. It wasn't supposed to be a layup. She made it into a slam dunk. And, uh, 
No, for context, for context, um, Jessica Andrade beat Rose Namajunas, picked her up and slammed her on her head and knocked her out. And Rose, as we're going to talk about, beat Weili Zhang, who's coming in, was coming in on a 21-win fight streak since 2014. Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't think anyone was going to beat Weili Zhang. So Andrade, to your point, is no slouch. She's been the champ. She's beat superstars. And, you know, we had one in the, in the, in the following match against Wei Li Zhang. You got anything else on Andrade before we discuss the uh, Rose? Yeah, no. The only thing I want to finish with uh, Shevchenko with the Andrade fight is that she showcased how well-rounded her skills and talents are. That, that I want oh, yeah. to make sure that I, that I put that out there. You know, striking on the outside as a southpaw, and then she's grappling on the inside on the mat. Of course, very impressive. Um, she made something that could have been hard very, very, look too easy. She made it uh, uh, kind of like I want to say, hey, for you people at home, it, uh, don't try this at home. Uh, it's not as easy as she just made it. <laughs> it's not as easy as she just made it look, you know. Um, but really, so strong, so big, and again, just so diversified in her skills. Uh, very impressive. Somebody that I'll be looking to continue to follow. Yeah, so next up in the co-main, like I said, we had Wei Li Zhang defending her title against Rose Namajunas. It's hard not to love Rose. Thug Rose, just tough as nails, super kind person, soft-spoken. But when she gets in the ring, my God, it's like she becomes a different person. Like I said, Wei Li Zhang uh, riding a 21-win streak, hasn't lost since 2014. And Rose kicks her in the head, knocks her out. Only the eighth time that someone's been knocked out by a head kick in the history of the UFC to just highlight how impressive that kick was. It was almost like a little question mark kick at the end. It looked like it was coming a little lower and then just looped over her hand and caught her right on the jaw. And my God, what a shocking, what a shocking knockout. I, I, expect, I wanted Rose to win. I expected Wei Li Zhang to beat her up. And Rose proved me wrong. Oh, my God, she looked awesome. What would you see in that one? I've seen great left hooks to the jaw that have taken people out or dropped people. Like, uh, obviously, the one that comes to mind is Joe Frazier's great left hook in the 15th round that dropped Ali in their first fight. But I've never seen a great left foot to the jaw, <laughs> you know, like that. And that was, that, that was a great left foot uh, to the jaw. I tweeted that... Uh, I was looking forward to this fight uh, before the fight, like Hagler Hearns, and I tell you, it ended up, in, in some ways, it ended up like that, suddenly and in a dominantly, uh, in a dominant fashion. Uh, it, it really was, what I was impressed with was not just the fact, you know, everyone jumps to the left foot, landed on the, on the side of the, you know, jaw of, uh, of Wei Li and doing the damage it did. But how she set it up, she boxed. She beautifully, be again, IQ, IQ. She, Nama Jamas, Nama Janus, uh, am I pronouncing that right? Nama Junas? Nama Junas. Yeah, Nama Junas. She, she set it up so magnificently. That shouldn't be missed. I know that we're going to all you know, focus on the foot, and as of course you would, 
because that's the it was so sensational, dynamic, and dramatic. But she set it up by boxing and using her legs and her striking skills and and just getting Wiley into the kind of lack of focus for something like that that she needed to get her into. She took her away from that thinking. She took her into a place where she was thinking about where the strikes would come from different angles because that's what she was suggesting in her movement in her boxing. She was moving, boxing, keeping Wiley, you know, uh, off balance. And so Wiley's thinking, okay, I got to be really alert, you know, in this dimension. Never thinking about the dimension that Namajunas was thinking and had planned for her all along. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Please, everybody, appreciate how brilliant, I'm sure you do, uh, but how brilliant that was to box for the first couple minutes, reminiscing, reminiscing to me in some ways of Masvidal, what he did against Ben Askren, when it was much shorter, it was it, it happened right at the very beginning, but he had a plan too to set up Askren, and it was executed. He moved off to the side a little bit. First of all, he was laying against the fence in a nonchalant way. Then, when the bell rings, he moves off to the side, and then what? He makes the attack and he throws the knee, knowing that Askren was going to be going for the shoot, and he knocks him out with the knee. He set it up, but he set it up with that subtle movement off to the side with his legs where where he took Askren away from the thinking that he should have been thinking. He, he, he disarmed him. He disarmed him mentally. And that's what Nama Jonas did. Rose. Yeah, that's what Rose, thank you. That's a little easier. That, that reminds me of <laughs> that reminds me of the great Marv Albert. I did my first Olympics in it was in um it was in Australia. Uh and it was it was two thousand. I wanna remember the year. It was I believe it was uh two thousand was Australia. Audley Harris yeah, brings was, home gold for the Great Britain. That's right. I'm so glad you know how to use a computer. You're the best. Um, it was no Oddly Harrison is my friend. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you got a lot of friends. I never know who you're gonna pull of out. Of course. Uh, who you're gonna pull out at at what time? I I gotta be I gotta be alert too because it could come from any angle. <laughs> Bang! I, I I I get caught. You know, I could get caught by a uh, Robert Redford. You just Anything. said I, I you mean, were just uh, highlighting uh, keeping them no, off balance. No, it's beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> and so. I did, I'm doing that Olympics, uh, the first one, and I'm with the great Marv Hagler, um, I'm thinking of Marvin Hagler, He's, uh, they're both great, but the great Marv Albert, and we're doing all these names that I've already proven I'm no Orson Welles, I think I've proven that already, <laughs> but you know, you need phonetic spelling for them, they're difficult, they're from all different places in the world, and oh my God, I I can't even read them, much less pronounce them, right? So, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, it's 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 a little scary, and I'm I'm trying to pronounce this guy. One guy, I forget where he was from, um, but one of the former Iron Curtain countries, and uh, Azerbaijan. Yeah, one of those type place where the the names were pretty difficult, pretty difficult. And so anyway, I'm 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 wrestling with it a little bit. And finally, I just say, I say, uh, 
Well, the Bulgarian in the blue trunks is doing a tremendous job of controlling <laughs> geography, and Marv Albert wasn't quite as uh, he's the greatest, but he wasn't quite as forgiving and gentle as you were uh, in, in lending a hand. He turns to me and says, "Teddy, you cannot do that. You cannot. You, you cannot replace Blue Trunks for his name. You, we have to. We have to be better than that. And so, at least we have to give his first name." I said, "There it is." And then I looked at it and I said, "But Moff, his first name is." Just as difficult as his last name. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm going back to the blue trunks. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm I'm going back to the blue trunks. But uh, yeah, Rose. How about we just call her Thug Rose? Well, Rose, I'll tell you, Rose. As I said, she set that up so well, so beautifully. Boxing, moving, getting, getting uh, Wiley in a sort of comfort zone that you should never be in, getting her out of the mold she needed to be in, and then suddenly coming with a kick when she's got it thinking about boxing. So it was well thought out, great IQ, and on top of that, to make it even more impressive to me, well, she does it with her lead foot, Ken, like the jab hand, the lead hand. She does yeah. it with the lead, and there's no mistake to me, about why she did that. It's, it's not an accident because you can't pick up the front foot coming quick enough because it's going to come from a closer distance and from an angle where you're not going to pick it up, you're not going to see it. If you do it with the back foot, which is probably her more powerful leg, to be quite honest, if she did it with the back foot, the right foot, you would have been able to pick it up because there's more distance to cover. And you would have saw it coming, and it would not. It might not have gotten through. It might have been blocked, or it wouldn't have had the same impact because she would have been prepared for it. So that was part of the brilliance too. Was that she did it with the lead foot, which would be harder to recognize it coming, harder to you know to see it coming. So well, well calculated, well planned. Kudos to her and her team, all of her trainers. Uh, Trevor Whitman, all of them, uh, every one of them, the 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 striking coach, the the kicking coach, the everybody, every because I know they have her, different coaches. Her partner is uh, Pat Barry, former UFC fighter, and uh, he's one of her trainers as well. So all of them did their job. You couldn't do it better. Uh, like I said, one minute she's boxing, and the next minute, out of the sky, bang comes a lead foot that you have no way of seeing it coming. And the impact was so devastating that Wiley in the interview afterwards and, you know, was arguing that the stoppage was too quick. She was out. I mean, you know, that old saying, the the film doesn't lie. The, the video doesn't lie. We see her that she's on the ground. She's out for that moment. She's out. And so the fight, of course, had to be stopped. But then afterwards, she's her pride and, the, again, the warrior mentality, which is incredible. She's saying it shouldn't have been stopped. She doesn't realize it became evident in the interview that she didn't realize yeah. that she was out. And yep. you're on co-pilot. Ken, these 
fighters in my business, obviously in the UFC too, they they program their minds. We program the minds so strongly that no matter what happens, you're ready to keep going. So even when you have a short circuit, and get knocked out is sort of a short circuit where suddenly the electricity gets disconnected from your brain and, and the body short circuits. I think that's a, a real kind of simple way of explaining, but it gets the point across. And so you have to short circuit, and right after the short circuit, the lights go on again. And so you forget the lights were out sometimes, like for a split second. Were the lights out? Did we have a blackout there? Or, 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 or did the lights really go out for a moment there? You're not sure. And that's kind of what happens with a person who is so strong mentally, so set, so resigned to, to go no matter what, like the Terminator, to just keep going, that they... They have difficulty understanding that lapse, that disconnect, that, no, I wasn't out. And they will argue with you. They will argue with you. I wasn't out. Well, you know, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be uh, rude. And, 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 you know, at the time with such a sensitive moment, but it's like, well, look at the video and you'll see that you are out. And, of course, nobody wants to do that. But that shows you the just a mindset of these warriors that they don't know about that gap. And it reminded me, there was another one because it was way back on HBO years ago where, where, the, where Marlon Stalling, who was a welterweight champion of the world, he was, he was defending his title, I believe if my memory co is correct, it was against Molina. And it was on HBO, as I said, and the great Larry Merchant. Larry Merchant was great. The great Larry Merchant was, was doing the interview after Stalling had been uh, caught with this punch that he never saw. And, you know, he got, he got knocked out, if my memory is right. And they're talking about it. And then all of a sudden, Merchant realizes that Stalling doesn't realize that he was down. He doesn't realize that he was out. And... So it, it really was an uh, incredible interview if, if you look at that because Merchant had to say to him, well, you know, you were down. He, and, and Stalin looked at him and said, I, I was never down. Well, <laughs> you were. You were down. <laughs> but no, I wasn't, I wasn't down. And this, again, the same phenomena, if you will, was taking place that these great warriors, Stalin in this case, was so determined, his mind was so, you know, pre-programmed, preordained in his mind that nothing's gonna stop me. That I'm gonna get to my, I'm gonna get my mission accomplished. And that that moment where he's where he's disconnected, where he's short-circuited from his body, that he can't recognize that. That you know, he's still ready to go in his mind. And that's kind of what was taking place uh, with Wiley uh, at that moment. And I've seen it before. And I just thought that it was worth taking a shot at explaining it to the audience out there uh, of what, what is, there is something really that is physically going on at that moment that kind of can give you uh, an answer to why they're, why they're behaving that way, why they're, they're so sure that 
they could go on, that they weren't hurt. Uh, what there, there's an explanation for it, and that's that's the explanation. Hey guys, want to take a quick break to give a shout out to our newest sponsor, Brave, the privacy browser. Do you really want big tech and other tracking tracking systems looking at what you're browsing on the internet, keeping tabs on you? Other other browsers don't respect your privacy. Brave is different. They've built better privacy into a much faster browser. It's three times faster than Chrome with a much better layout and user experience. Brave automatically blocks big text trackers and intrusive ads that slow you down, drain your battery, and track you track you from site to site and hit you with those creepy ads that follow you around the web. I'm sure everyone has stories of times they were talking to someone about something. The next thing you know, you're getting ads pop up about conversations you've had. The conspiracy theories are abound. With Brave, no one, including Brave, sees what you're doing online. So head over to brave.com slash atlas to join 30 million people who've upgraded to the privacy browser for free yes for free no purchase price whatsoever again you can download and use it for free switch in under 60 seconds by going to brave.com slash atlas now one other thing ken i just want to say again and i think it's worth saying it class shown not just by the fighters but by rogan and the commentators you know handling those situations again all night long all night long Claire's shown by not only talent shown in a ring all night, great talent and great IQs and great preparation by the coaches, by the fighters, all of them, just like you see with boxers when it's right, but just a great job afterwards in the comments, in the way that they behaved, in the way they conducted themselves in defeat, in victory, and even the commentators. I just wanted to make sure I said that. Yeah, that commentating team of John Anik, Joe Rogan, and uh, Daniel Cormier are second to none. I really enjoy them. They seem like they all genuinely get along. It's it's just that it, they have a great flow together. I really like Anik as the host. Um, but what I was going to say is, speaking of um, not n- not knowing if you're out, uh, one guy who did know he was out was uh, Jorge Masvidal. Unfortunately, we were pulling for George. I, I wanted to see him win, but... Um, Give it credit to Usman. He just continues to get better and stepped in and, and set uh, George up perfectly. First person to knock George out, I think, since 2008. First person to stop him like that with a knockout. And um, just hit him with the perfect shot right on the jaw. Knocked him out cold. And Jorge, as you would expect, total gentleman after the fact, said, look, the guy's clearly got my number. He's um, There's nothing I can do with him. He, he got me. He's a better man. Um Still got work to do, but you know George is a class act and 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 just a really nice guy. He's really is a good person, and uh, credit to Usman. Like we said, uh, the um, three-headed monster from Africa, the two Nigerians with Israel, Usman, and um, Francis Ngannou. The train keeps rolling. Those guys all look awesome. Uh, really nice people. Uh, by the way, speaking of Rose and Trevor Whitman, it would be great to get them on the show at some point if they're interested. Uh, we'd love to talk to them. But um, credit to Kamaro Usman, another victory. Um, looks like he's going to get Colby Covington next. But um, what'd you think of the fight? What, what went right? What went wrong for George? Um, dying to hear your thoughts on this one. All right, that starts with full disclosure, as always. When we're right, we say it. We're not, obviously, uh, <laughs> we're not hesitant to say it. And um, 
I don't think we overdo it, though. I think we do it with some kind of uh, grace and um, uh, it matters. But also, when we're wrong, we say it. And I said that I thought Masvidal uh, had a chance, and he didn't, as it turned out. So I was wrong. I was wrong. And um, funny thing, I thought that if Masvidal could avoid the takedowns and stay on his feet, you know, because Usman is so strong and such a great, you know, grappler, wrestler, everything that is part of being so great down on the mat, I thought he'd have a chance. And I didn't realize how much Usman's striking. And part of that goes to Trevor Whitman, too, speaking of him. Yep. But I, 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 I didn't realize how much Usman's striking had improved. And more important than me not knowing, and here's the key for me breaking this fight down, very important, Either did Masvidal, and he stated such. No excuse. He wasn't making an excuse. I'm not making an excuse. It's a fact that that went into the ups. Uh, that went into the performance here, and how Usman was so dominant that Masvidal wasn't expecting him to be that good. I know you're supposed to, I get it, but I'm just making a fact here. Again, no excuse. Usman did what he did, and he was great. But Masvidal, as Teddy Atlas, I didn't think that Usman had improved that much on the, on the striking end of it. And more importantly, like I said, Masvidal didn't either. And he said it. He said it in the interview afterwards. And here's the funny thing. The first fight that he took on six days notice, Masvidal with him, it hurt him. I'll tell you how it hurt him. I thought it could help him that he'd say, hey, if I could do that well and survive, I know he, he got dominated, but he survived with no preparation. Hey, I got a chance to win this damn thing. But here's the kicker. In that fight, it was all about strength, physicality, getting in close, getting pinned against the fence, getting taken down, trying to get back to your feet, avoiding takedowns. It was all about the inside game, the mat game. And in the mind of Masvidal, that did not help him. That set him up. We talk about setting guys up like how beautifully Rose set up Wiley by boxing, moving, and then bang, a kick, you know, set her up. Well, that first fight set up it did. It set up Masvidal in a way that his mind was, he said it. He said, in camp I did more training on the floor and wrestling and grappling than I ever did before. Ever did before. Like he almost took the striking for granted. I don't got to worry about the strike. Well, you're damn wrong. You're damn wrong. You have to worry about that. But again, he was, because of the first experience being all about physicality and about getting taken to the mat and avoiding being taken to the mat. He concentrated on that fight and he kind of took for granted, I'm better than him striking. I already got that in the bag. You know, not that he didn't practice that. Reminded me a little bit of um, Conor McGregor and um, Dustin Poirier. It didn't look like Conor was expecting Dustin to come out and start cracking him with leg kicks and headshots. Good point. Good point. And, and you know, Ken... Again, he Masvidal said it. This isn't just Teddy Atlas saying it with my instincts and my judgment and fighting and my experience. No, or my eye that I noticed that. No, 
this is Masvidal telling you, but I understand it. I understand it because I was thinking too that was that Masvidal had a chance in the striking here, but as it turned out, uh, he couldn't dominate in the striking because this other guy was his game was now at a level where he wouldn't allow that to be done, and because he had improved in that area so much, and again, where he's thinking about the physical part of it, about the takedown part of it, about the mat part of it, about the grappling and wrestling part of it, that he, he, he never, this caught him by surprise. And again, no excuse, because you know, you're a fighter, you're in there, and you, know, you, you gotta take care of what has to be taken care of. That's your responsibility. And obviously, Usman was prepared to do what he did. But it it really, I think it was, it played into a big part of what happened that night. That Masvidal, with the first, he would have been better off if he never fought this guy. Because, in, in some ways, because he got it in his mind that all he had to worry about was wrestling. And it was far from the truth. Far from the truth. And um, I want to also mention that it reminded me in the way that Usman has improved his striking game. First of all, he's so strong. He's, he's so prepared. He's so good on the mat that now with an improved striking game, he's going to be an awful difficult guy to match up with. You know, to, because when you match up with someone, you're always looking for some kind of weakness. Something where you could take, uh, okay, you could take homage and saying, you could take, you know, you could, uh, you take confidence in saying, okay, look, I can't beat him on the floor, on a mat. I get it. I know that. So I'll avoid that, but I could beat him over here. I could do this. I could do that. But with the way he's improved striking now, he's kind of taking those, <laughs> he, he, he's, taking those outlets away from you, from your thinking that those could be places where you could take them that, you know, you can have an advantage. And it reminds me a little bit of the great, great Khabib before he retired where we already knew what a monster and what a master he was on the mat. Um, but he was improving almost subtly in his striking game that I don't think he got enough credit for. But in his last fight, Ken, I remember where I was thinking, well, he's fighting a guy who's a good wrestler and a superior striker, and maybe it could be interesting. And then as the fight progressed, I said, wait a minute. Khabib, the guy who's the monster in wrestling on the floor and grappling, all that stuff, he, he's out jabbing this guy. All of a sudden, I saw a jab that I hadn't really seen, a consistent, accurate, well-timed, well-thrown jab by Khabib. And I said, wow, wow. He's added that to already his brilliant game where now, even if he don't, even if he's not better than a striker, maybe a great striker, he's good enough to nullify the striker's game where the striker can't get his way, where he can stabilize the striker with a good jab. He can, he can control certain parts of the geography as I talk about that he needs to control with the striking game. You know, he can he can offset uh, the striking game by using a well-placed jab. 
uh, and, and being balanced and being in position where he throws his punches, he's not giving up defense, and he's in position to also eat with the right hand after the jab because he his striking has improved. So as I thought about Usman, I thought about Khabib. I said, yeah, he's done the same thing Khabib did at the late part of his, you know, before he retired, where he's improved in those areas. And it's going to be very, very hard now to deal with him. And the execution of that knockout punch, Ken, when you get a knockout that clean, it's almost always because you land a blind punch. And it almost always because you had you had a trick, something with it to to allow it to be blind. It wasn't just a naked punch. It wasn't just a, a forceful punch, a powerful punch. We know he's got power. and But it was more than that. It was the execution. It was the delivery system, as I talk about, the trickery, you know, the IQ, where Usman threw purposely a little wider jab just to bring the eyes of Masvidal over to his right side, just to distract him a little bit, to move his eyes a little bit. He threw the left hand in that lane, not straight, not in the middle of the highway, but with more on the shoulder of the road. He threw it on the side a little, and then the right hand comes down the middle, down the pike, down the highway, and he never sees it, and it knocks him cold. Um, brilliantly done brilliantly done and and I, I won't even let go of it there where when he drew that left hand on the side at the same time simultaneously he being Usman grabbed the right hand grabbed the right hand of Masvidal and pulled it down that distracted him more that caused a reaction it caused it was the catalyst for a reaction that caused his eyes to blink yeah, I know I'm going deep, but look at the video. You're going to see it. Believe me, there was a lot that went into it more than just the final blow where he could land a clean, blind punch, a punch that he wasn't going to recover from, no matter how good his chin was, where it caused Masvidal's eyes to blink, to, to almost close by doing that, and then never able to see, as I said, the right hand. And also, Usman showed that his physical strength, that that great physical strength that he has, that we see on the f mat, in the grappling, in the wrestling, it translated into punching power. That he, he was able to take that same power. It's not always the case. He was able to take that same power that he showed physically on the mat and translate it into a punch where... The guy's a hell of a puncher. He's a great puncher. So all of that was taking place. And he needs to get credit for all of that. Um, what a job. What a job. It was done there. And um, I just want to see in my notes if I'm leaving anything out. One thing that I was... Uh, the only thing I was right about, you know, I'm... I make sure that at the beginning I was quick to say where I was wrong, thinking that Masvidal had a chance and he didn't under the circumstances. But the one thing that I was right about, I said, and I tweeted it uh, before the fight, look for Usman's strong, accurate jab to set the table as he 
he'll then go to eat with the right hand. That I was right about because I knew that Usman in his prior fight had been working on the striking game. I didn't know how much it had come uh, in, you know, in terms of improvement that it came to this so far f- forward to this this place, but I knew it had been improving because I had seen it in his prior fight to jab, a good jab. And so I knew that that would be part of the thinking of Whitman and Usman in setting up the fight plan that Masvidal is going to look to strike, he's going to look to box on the outside, and what's the best way to stabilize a guy who's looking to box? Use your jab. Use your jab the right way, where you can you can get him out of his rhythm. You can discombobulate the guy, where you can you can stabilize him, control him a little bit, break him up a little bit, where he can't get into his boxing rhythm. And so I figured that would be part of the scheme, part of the thinking for the team of Usman. And it turned out it was. And boy, talk about using your left hand, as I always say, Ken. You know, set the table with the left so you could eat with the right. He 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 didn't show good table manners. He devoured them. I mean, it was <laughs> you know what I mean. You talk about. I I know my mother used to say small bites, please. <laughs> you know, small small bites. But but he took a big bite there, and um, it was kind of like a lion attacking a gazelle. I mean, it was powerful and sudden, powerful and sudden. Uh, so. Uh, and like I said, Ken, smartly, brilliantly, that KO's punch was set up, uh, as as I described. You know what I thought when I saw that is uh, I think Usman's been watching those dynamic striking videos. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> you learned a few tricks. I appreciate you mentioning that. Those but f- um, and if you want to learn how to throw a bunch of different jabs, there's about, I think, 14 different jabs you can learn on Dynamic Striking. Check it out, dynamicstriking.com. Look up, look up uh, Teddy's got a whole instructional series up there if you're interested in learning um, some the fundamentals and basics of boxing. But, Teddy, speaking of boxing... Well, let me say one thing toward, towards yes. that. I appreciate yes. that. Thank you. Um, for Usman and for Whitman, I'm going to give them credit in a different sport, uh, in a different vocation in a different mastery if you will um i'm gonna say that they set it up like a master chess player oh yeah um it was it was a master chess that's a good analogy yeah it really was it was like bobby fisher the great great chess master uh from years ago uh it it was like that they they really that was a brilliant it was uh Painful chess, don't get me wrong, painful chess, but but still, brilliant chess move. Yeah, congratulations to Trevor Whitman. Two big wins in the co-main and the main. Uh, but let's jump into some boxing and before we... Oh, one other thing, yes. one other thing, I'm sorry. I have to give him, again, I want to give credit as I've been doing all through this whole podcast. I want to give credit to... These guys, you know, Masvidal and Usman, how classy they are in victory and defeat. Um, and it was shown by the competitors, as I said, again, all night long. And you know what? Usman's the kind of guy, he's so proud. You know, he's he really is. He's proud. They all are. But he's a proud guy in, in a way that not only how he fights, how he conducts himself, how he carries himself. And it shows 
And he's, remember that old saying, Ken? This is a guy that epitomizes that old saying where they used to say, and we used to say, look, we, we're bringing our own, our, we're doing our talking with these, with our fists. We're not, you know, where the other guy's doing some trash talking and this and that, whatever. You know, it's every, like everybody has their own style. But where every once in a while you would say, you might, as the trainer, you might tell the guy or the guy might say himself, I'm going to do my talking in the ring. Well, that's Usman. Yep. That, that really is him. It really is. I mean, he oh, yeah. he he doesn't say anything, <laughs> but but his body language tells you everything that he's serious, he's ready to go, and he's basically without verbalizing it, he's saying to you, "I'm going to do my talking as soon as this bell rings." <laughs> In about three yeah. seconds, when this bell, I'm going to chatter, and I'm going to chatter a lot, and you're going to hear it loud, and you're going to hear it clear, and you're going to hear everything you need to hear. And it was funny because Masvidal, who of course is a friend of ours and we love and we respect, and he's he's great for the sport. Uh, he's done great stuff in the sport. You got to give him a lot of credit for his journey. They've all had great journeys, these guys. It's really remarkable. Every one of them could have a movie uh, made about them, if you think about it. But, you know, just where the referee was given the final instructions in the center of the ring, uh, you see... Masvidal, not disrespectfully, that's his thing. His thing is to chatter, to talk, to, you know. So you see him talking uh, to, to Usman, and you look at Usman not saying a word. <laughs> not saying a word, body language telling it all, like, okay, I'll be back to give my rebuttal in a minute. Uh, and my rebuttal will be with these, uh, with, with my fists. Not, not with any verbiage. And, and you can see it. He goes back to to the to his corner. He's you know he's leaning up against the fence, and he's bent down in that attack style mode that he that he likes to do, where he's bent down like a sprinter, uh, ready to ready to come forward, and um and you can see it like here comes my talking, here comes my talking. Yeah. So yep. I just I just felt I had to mention that because uh it, it was so evident um. And that's it. Take it from there. Thank you. One other thing I will mention about Usman, uh, extra extra motivation for him in the fight as if he needed more. But um, first of all, that was his fourth title defense, 14th straight win. But that was the first time his dad seen him fight in person. His dad just got out of jail, was in jail for like, I want to say about 10 years, maybe more. Uh, on an insurance fraud case that I heard Usman speak about on Rogan's um Rogan's podcast and he basically said his dad was wrongfully convicted nevertheless he'd been away for a long time so it was nice to see his dad in the ring with them and a very proud family hard-working guy um, so congratulations again to Kamaro Usman and Trevor Whitman and the whole crew awesome performance uh, I'm sure we'll see George back again well done George classy as always um, brings us to boxing and before we get into the boxing if you want to look like a boxer and you want to look like a real fan check out box raw and Teddy's new 36 minute collection Teddy let's see that hoodie you got what's the back look like well, oh beautiful it's got that number 36, which represents 36 minutes in a prize fight, 36 minutes to make life fair. Check it out at boxraw.com. Should be available starting in June. 
Beautiful preview. Um, looking forward you to really, getting some you, of that gear myself. You really want that. I was just about to say, you, you're really working to get that gear, aren't you? You're really working. <laughs> you're working hard. You're working hard. You're, you're Singing get for it. my supper. You're, you're working hard <laughs> to get that gear. It reminds me of that Jerry Maguire movie with uh, uh, Cuba's Jr. Uh, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I love him. And and uh, even if I say his name wrong, I still love him. And... and uh, <laughs> And and Cruz, where they're in the <laughs> they're in that scene where you know where where Cruz has lost a lot of his uh, clients and he's he's trying to <laughs> hold on to him and he's and he's trying to accommodate him in any way that he can and he's he's saying all this thing uh, you know I uh, he's he, what was he saying it was really funny help me help you yeah help me help you help me <laughs> help you and all of a sudden. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, Cuba... Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, yep. Cuba, I call him Cuba. Cuba Jr. Uh, yep. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, he just can't help. He cracks up. He cry, He goes, Jerry, I, I, you're, 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 you're hanging by a string. You're hanging, but you're working hard. You're working hard. You're really trying, Jerry. You're hanging by a string. I just love that about you. <laughs> he starts throwing punches. <laughs> yeah, I just love that, that you're still hanging in there, Jerry. You know, you're working so hard to, to make this work. And listen, Ken, I appreciate that. Appreciate you working hard, and um, you're no gonna problem. get it. Don't worry. You're gonna <laughs> you're you're gonna get that that hoodie, and uh, I'll see if I got some real small ones for your kids too. <laughs> oh, they'll love it. The kids love that stuff. Hey, uh, on a serious note, though, uh, Ryan Garcia, friend of the show, former guest. Um, his fight with Javier Fortuna on July 9th, Ryan announced that he is pulling out of the fight, apparently dealing with some mental health issues. I know he's been very open about speaking about his anxiety and some other issues around mental health. And um, it's hard not to feel for the kid because he's a young guy. And to be that young, that successful and that famous, I don't think it's without its own challenges. It's always easy to look from the outside and say how great someone has it. They're making money, but it's a lot of responsibility for a kid that young and that famous making that kind of scratch and I just it's I, I do I feel a little heartbroken for the kid and I hope he gets the help he, he needs I know he's got a good team around him and 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 they're reaching out to the right people so keep your head up Ryan Garcia we're rooting for you you're a good kid you're a good person and I hope you get better and I know you will and uh Teddy I know you had some thoughts on the on the matter yeah, no, I, I basically echo what you said. You know, I had said to you before this, I wanted to touch on it. A lot of times we could just kind of ignore and go past such a thing that's difficult to talk about. Um, but I didn't want to ignore it. I wanted to just real quickly uh, touch on it and say, again, echo what you said, that our thoughts are with you. Uh, Ryan, he's a good kid. He comes from good stock. Uh, his father's also involved. His family, his whole family is involved with the nutritional part of his camp and the training part of his camp and everything. So we're sure he'll get through it. He's got, as you said, Ken, he's got good people around him. Um, there's a lot of pressure in life, period, uh, in whatever you do. And uh, same thing with being a young fighter. And he, we, we forget how, you know, he's only 23 years old and um, he, he's got a lot is there now and we don't know we don't pretend to know uh, all of the factors uh, behind this but what we do know is that mental health is a serious serious issue and I know that there's some people out there 
that um, sometimes right away they say things maybe they should maybe they should reserve their thoughts but I understand some people just jump and say things where they look suspiciously at him pulling out of a fight and start saying things which they have said some of those things talking about oh you know uh, here's a guy who is doing all the talk about wanting Tank Davis and all that stuff uh, and now uh, they're looking at it suspiciously saying oh maybe he doesn't want to fight he wants to get out of the fight uh, I, I just think that that's sad um, and unfortunate and um, wrong uh, for any of us to 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 just think such things or to throw some such things in the air. Uh, it's irresponsible uh, because we don't know, but we do know that mental health is once that word is mentioned. Um, it's a serious issue. Uh, it's a very serious issue. It's an issue that causes some people to take their own lives. So I, I just felt we needed to just say a little something about it. And for the people out there, I'm not controlling your life. I'm not telling you how to behave as a person. The fans out there, you have a right to think and say what you want to say. Um, it's a free world uh, and a free country to do that. But I think we should just be reserved with our thoughts and our words a little bit in, in such a situation that we don't have all the information and that there's the mention of uh, of such a thing that can be as delicate and as difficult and as dangerous as mental health. Um, we, we, from our side, from our team, with Rob and Ken, myself, my family, their families, and I'm sure representing a lot of you fans. I'm I'm gonna take I'm gonna go out there and represent a lot of you guys too, and say that we all we all hope you're good and we all hope you get through this, uh, in a proper way, uh, as the fighter that you are, and with the good people around you, that you will get through this, and um, we pray for that, and we pray uh. You know, Ryan, to just 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 get well, be well, and I wanna I wanna mention something where maybe it'll I don't know maybe it'll have some put a little bit of a context in a physical way uh, to the a little bit of the mental health situation in boxing and in, in anything in life, but in this case, even with a fighter, how it can impact a fighter, because a lot of people take for granted that if someone's a fighter, they shouldn't be touched by such things as those kind of emotions uh, in their mind, those kind of frailties, those kind of, in their mind, maybe weaknesses. Uh, it's not weakness, it's human. It's part of human being a human being. It's in all of us. And fighters are subject to it like anybody else, vulnerable to it, like anybody else. And where a lot of people think, well, if you're a fighter, you could do the things that most people can't do. Get in a ring, face that kind of pressure and that kind of threat and go in there and chuck punches. Guess what? You're, you're, you're not sensitive. Or guess what? You're not possibility or candidate for being vulnerable uh, to such such things as pressure as as depression as you know those kind of things as uh, being scared or or whatever whatever comes into those that mental realm that emotional realm that can come over the wall like a fog and and just take over and and smother you 
uh, as it does people every day in life. And you think that, well, a fighter would obviously be able to combat that. They would be, uh, they would not be vulnerable to that. Well, you're wrong. You're wrong. Everybody can be vulnerable to it as a human being that was born on this planet in the way that we're all born. And that bleeds red like we all bleed red. And as I said, to put a physical context and example into it, years ago, and I asked Rob, uh, our producer, the man who helps us put this all together, our friend and partner with all this, I asked him behind the scenes to, to, to look for this and to get it up there where normally I wouldn't because it's not something you want to see, but maybe it's something you need to see. Uh, a, a little reminder that years ago, Lennox Lewis was fighting Oliver McCall. Now, Oliver McCall had just, the previous fight had knocked out, big upset, big upset. Oliver McCall, good puncher, and he used to be a spawn partner of Mike Tyson. He won the world title, upsetting Lennox Lewis, who was the best heavyweight in the world at the time. He knocks out Lennox Lewis. I think it was the second round. Uh, it was fairly early. Knocks him out and becomes heavyweight champ of the world. And as I said, huge upset. And then in the rematch, well, he shouldn't have been in the ring. If we're going to speak candidly as, and, and frankly and honestly like we do on this podcast, well, Oliver McCall shouldn't have been in the ring. But the money and the people around him and everything else, uh, the, he got in the ring. Uh, because of what was going on in his life at that time, uh, emotionally, mentally, what he was going through, he shouldn't have been in the ring. And we never know what someone's going through. You know that old saying? You don't know how somebody's living in their home, in their house, behind the doors. You don't know. And sure enough, McCall gets in the ring, a lot of stuff going on in his life. And what happens? In the middle of the fight, something that's just probably never ever happened in the history of the sport before. In the middle of the fight, he starts crying. Literally starts crying. I mean, he literally put his arms and his head over the ropes and uh, he was crying. It was, it was very difficult. Uh, if you're a human being, it was very difficult to see, to know a man was in that kind of distress, in that, in that kind of harm's way, not, not by the punches, but what was going on in his mind, in his heart, what was obviously just tearing him apart. There was obviously, there was a fight going on inside that we, we weren't aware of. There was damage going on inside that we weren't aware of. And then suddenly, the whole world was made aware that something was happening, that something was wrong. When he started doing something that you would never in your life dream that a fighter could do during a match. He just started hysterically crying. And... I just wanted to bring that up to the, I thought it was important to bring that back, something I normally would never bring back, something that, you know, was disturbing, something that was upsetting, something that was unfortunate for a person at that point in their life. But to the credit of McCall, you know, he wound up getting going forward in his life. Um, but something that we would normally ignore. And I thought because of this situation, we shouldn't ignore it. We should remind the people with a physical image, with a physical piece of proof that mental illness is no joke, that 
that it can affect even fighters. And we should never take for granted that we know how somebody is living, feeling, or thinking at any time in their life. So I just wanted to I just wanted to say that and make sure that we we presented that. Yeah. Good luck to um Ryan. I'm sure he's gonna get through this and uh if there's anything we can do, obviously we're happy to do it. Um let's talk about this coming weekend. Andy Ruiz and Chris Ariola, again one of the nicest guys in the world, Chris Ariola, probably a little bit uh a little bit too much for Chris at this point. I think with Andy Ruiz, especially with Andy Ruiz aligning with Eddie Reynoso and the Canelo camp. I'm expecting to see the best Ruiz we've ever seen, to be honest. He looks fit. Um, it's just a pay-per-view fight. Um, curious to hear your thoughts on this one. We've touched on it before, but it looks like it's definitely happening this Saturday night on pay-per-view. Ruiz, Ariolo, what do you think? I don't know what kind of numbers they can get because that's that. not trying to knock anyone. We're not ever trying to do that. We're just trying to put out the truth for the audience. Uh, that is not a what you would think of when you're asking somebody to go into their pocket and take their hard-earned money and put it out there. That's not what you would think would headline a pay-per-view match. It, it, it's I mean, Ariola is 40 years old. He's been a warrior. Um, but that's the problem. He's been a warrior for too long. Uh, he's taken a lot of punches. And his best days are, are well well past him and i'm actually concerned for his health i i don't i know i'm not trying to stop him from making money or any of that uh never i would never i want him to make money and take care of his family but uh at this point in his career he's a kid that i like a lot i like his personality i like his the kind of person he is where he's come from what his journey has been a lot of these fighters have great journeys uh great stories he has a great story a great journey uh, he's a terrific kid. Uh, he's a father. He's a husband. Uh, he's always conducted himself and handled himself in the ring and outside the ring uh, the way that you would want somebody to, uh, in a, as I say, like a champion, like a, in this case, uh, like a man, like a real fighter. Uh, he's always gives everything. I don't know how much he's got left to give at this point in his career. That's what I'm concerned about. I just don't know how much he's got to give. And um, he, Ruiz is a good fighter. I think he's an underrated fighter. He knows how to fight. He showed that when he knocked out Joshua, you know, on short notice. Uh, he, he didn't do it just because he could punch. He did it because he had quick hands, because he knew how to make a guy miss and counter. He knew when to throw, when not to throw. He, he knew how to get into the proper range to deliver. Uh, you know, he knew how to finish the job. He knows how to fight. That's what I'm describing. That's what I'm saying. He knows how to fight. And, um, and he's finally in better condition, taking the sport more serious now. You know, credit to himself himself and Reynoso, the people around him, uh, that he understands now it's time. You know, he went in there, he blew up to over 280 pounds in a rematch. He got paid. He got paid, you know, against Joshua. But he also, he also paid. You know, he got paid, but he paid. You know, he paid by being embarrassed. He paid for his reputation. He paid with uh, people on the internet that could take shots at you. Where all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're not the champ. 
where all of a sudden you're vulnerable, where all of a sudden you're cannon fodder, where all of a sudden you're fair game, where people that can hide behind the screen of a, of a computer. I don't even know how you do the damn thing. I wouldn't even know how to turn a computer on. But yeah, where you can hide back there and you can take shots at somebody you would never take shots at when you're in front of them. Yeah, he, he took a lot of those shots. And now he's doing something about it. He's getting in shape, which I knew he would. I figured he would. And um, he's, he's in shape. Uh, I and listen, his people are doing what you would know that they would do. They're they're trying to give him a guy that he will look brilliant against. Yeah, that you know that be as least risk as possible, but at the same time, also a big reward, a big reward where you 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 look sensational, and you'll be able to say, here's a guy that's a warrior, here's a guy that, that's a tough guy, here's a guy that, you know, didn't get knocked out by that undefeated Polish fighter in Brooklyn a couple years ago when they fought. Yeah, this is a whole different situation, a whole different situation here. Ruiz is a better fighter than that undefeated Polish fighter was at the time when, when uh, Ariola went to distance. He lost, Ariola lost, but yeah, he went to distance. But then again, he won once again, took a lot of punches in that fight. Left part of himself in the ring, as I often say. Again, he left part of himself in the ring. There's a little bit less of him now for this fight. I just think, again, his people are doing what they think is the right thing to do to, to get the biggest bang you know, out of this promotion, out of this comeback, to come back looking swelt and lean and mean and then knocking somebody out. Uh they want to be able to they want to be able to put their best foot forward to get into that sweepstakes the sweepstakes everyone wants to be in in boxing the heavyweight sweepstakes the heavyweight world title sweepstakes they want to put their foot forward and say hey i'm here i'm 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 a nominee <laughs> hey i'm a candidate hey this is how you do it this 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 is how you do it. This is how you get yourself into that game. This is how you get yourself into that lottery. That's how you do it. Yeah, this is how you do it. And um, again, I I love Chris Ariola. I think he's terrific. Um, I just I just I just uh, I don't want to see him get hurt. I just uh, you know, it comes a time when we all have to stop doing what we do. You know. Uh, it comes that time. And in boxing, the difference in boxing, I once made this analogy, Ken, along, I love Willie Mays. And when he came to the Mets, I was a young kid, but when he came to the Mets, I was like, oh my God, Willie Mays is playing for the New York Mets. Uh, you know, I feel kind of bad for him, but you know, the Mets weren't too good. But he, uh, he's playing at that time, but he's playing for the Mets. Oh, this is great. I'm going to get to see him. And with his, with that famous bucket catch where he would just drop his hands, boom, and, and make the bucket catch. Oh, he was so great, Willie Mays. And I'm going to see him. And then I went to a game to see him, and he couldn't even make the bucket catch. He couldn't, you know, and, and he struck out. And that wasn't Willie Mays. That was, that was a shadow of, that was somebody's, you know, that was somebody's making a, just a, a cheap sketch of Willie Mays. That was a Willie Mays. And, uh, you know, it was sad. But here's the difference. At that age, when Willie didn't have it no more and he was playing baseball, the worst thing was that he would embarrass 
himself from what he was, from the greatness of what he used to bring to that field all the time, that maybe it could take a tiny bit away from his legacy uh, and, and be an embarrassing moment, but not, but not a dangerous moment to his health. That's the difference in boxing when a guy goes too long. It's not about being just embarrassed and taken away from your legacy. It's about what happened to Muhammad Ali. It's about getting to that, that dangerous place where now something can happen to your health. Now something can happen to your well-being. Now it can be physically dangerous. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm concerned about. And I can only say from my podium here, my as I used in ESPN for you know almost 25 years, where I would use my podium to, to say things that I thought had to be said. If they could do something, good. I prayed that they did something. But I could only say them, hoping they would do something, hoping they would mean something. And I do the same thing from this podium, um, from this position, that I just say those things hoping that you know, I used to say things on the air on ESPN saying, listen, commission out there, wherever you are, don't license this guy. I know that, it, again, I don't, or think twice about licensing. Make sure you give him all the tests. Just make sure. That's all. That's all. Because because his health is is possibly at risk here. And, uh, and uh, it's always at risk when you do something like boxing for a living or UFC or football. Always. But more so when you get older. More so when you've been compromised in some of those areas physically. More so. So I would. I remember saying on ESPN, hey, listen, the commission out there, don't don't just jump and, you know, give a lot. I don't want to take his ability to get a paycheck. I understand. I, I don't, I don't want to be doing that. But I don't want to see him get hurt either. And, um... So I would do that on ESPN for that reason. And I would only do it when I obviously thought there was a, a real serious reason to do it. And I just feel that way right now. And um, I wish him all the luck in the world, Chris, with him and his beautiful family. And, uh, you know, he's been a warrior every time he's gotten into that squared circle, into that chamber of truth. He's always brought to truth that Chris Ariola is a warrior, that Chris Ariola is proud, that Chris Ariola is a fighter, that Chris Ariola will leave everything of himself in that ring. And that's what I'm afraid of now, that he'll leave everything of himself in the ring. Well, he's definitely going to leave it all in the ring. Chris Ariola doesn't pussyfoot around. He comes in for the kill and uh, love him as a fighter. He's an awesome person. And uh, before we wrap things up, just want to again say thanks to all the fans. Appreciate all the support, all the kind words. I get a ton of messages. I just got a message the other day from a young guy named Jack Kimball, who ironically or coincidentally, my wife tutored for a long time as he was a kid. And he sent my wife an email and said, I just put two and two together after watching the show for two years that Ken is your husband and I've been watching every episode so thanks to Jack and there's, there's a million of them I could go on forever but um Teddy, before I go, I just want to remind fans, if they'd like to receive a personalized message from you, a video message, they can hit you up on Cameo. Go to Cameo.com, search Teddy Atlas. Teddy will send you a personalized message. There's been some real heartwarming ones, too, with some people that have been suffering with some different ailments. So love seeing those all the time. And also, if you if you haven't heard Teddy's audio book, you should check it out at Audible.com. Fantastic read. 
um, covers his whole history. Um, I love it. I listen to it multiple times while I've been running. Um, so anyway, Teddy, thanks for doing this. It's great talking to you as always. Appreciate all the insight. Looking forward to it again next week. We'll break down the Ruiz and Areola fight. There's a UFC fight night coming up. There's actually on the undercard of that Ruiz fight, that kid Sebastian Fondora, who I'm a huge fan of. I think he's like 6'5", 150 pounds maybe. Uh, he's fighting a kid named Jorge Cota, step up in competition for Fondora. So I'll be looking forward to discussing that one with you on the undercard of uh, Ruiz Areola. Anyway, thanks everyone for being with us. Appreciate all the support. As always, leave some comments, share the links. Appreciate everything you guys do. Subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for being with us.